In this episode of Influencers, Dallas Maverick CEO, Sint Marshall. We all have a story. Uh, some of us tell our stories at different times in our lives. I think it's, it's bigger than basketball. We're all together to make sure that we carry out our mission at the Dallas Mavericks to excite, inspire, and unite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Sint Marshall, Chief Executive Officer of the Dallas Mavericks and author of the new book, You've Been Chosen, and full disclosure, Yahoo board member. Sint, great to see you. It's great to see you, too. How are you doing today? Doing just great. Doing just great. Awesome. So listen, I got to start off and ask you, to me, an obvious question. What the heck is it like working for Mark Cuban. I mean, it must be really incredible. Tell us what that's like, Sin. It is incredible. Uh, you know, well, most people know he, I think he is a genius, that he is just brilliant uh, when it comes to business and innovation and creativity. He says he's not brilliant, but he is. And so every day it's something different. Uh, I've learned a lot from him. He keeps us moving. He keeps us on our toes. Uh, he's taught me uh, the business of basketball as much as you can teach somebody in four years. Uh, so it's just, it's great working for him. Uh, he is, uh, he's, he's just fun. He's fun and he's business and he's all about making it happen. He's all about the people too, which is awesome. Do you have a regular cadence in terms of meetings? How much structure is involved in the organization when it comes to talking to, to Mark? Uh, not not a lot of structure. I mean, I have a, I have a lot of structure on, on my side of it, the business side. Uh, Nico Harrison has his structure on the basketball side. In fact, he and I met this morning. Uh, and then we get with Mark uh, definitely quarterly uh, for our operational reviews. And then it just depends on what's going on. Like I started my morning off uh, texting with him uh, this morning. Then we did a few emails uh, and I'll talk to him, you know, tomorrow before uh, tomorrow night's game. And uh, so we have our kind of quarterly structure. We have our reports that we send in and all that. But it really is just, you know, whenever we need to talk, he is not, uh, he's not a micromanager, uh, but by the same token, he's there for guidance and, you know, creativity and making sure, you know, we're thinking out of the box. So much to talk about with your book, your background, your life story, just really incredible stuff and how you got to the Mavericks too. Let's sort of start there though, since we're talking about Mark Cuban, what did he tell you about coming into the job? Because the organization had serious cultural problems. That's why he hired you. What was that conversation like? What did he tell you, Sin? Well, it was it was a great conversation. Once I got a chance to sit down with him, uh, and I mean, he reached out to me via phone call and text messages. We didn't know one another. So uh, it, it made for a good conversation just starting out, you know, getting to know a little bit about each other. Uh, and then he talked to me about the kind of cultural transformation and leadership that he wanted for the business side of his basketball team. He focused a lot on the basketball side. Uh, some things were going on on the business side uh, that um, uh, needed to be addressed. And he really wanted, it, and these are my words, he wanted to create a great place to work uh, for his uh, employees. And so he was very transparent, uh, very candid, uh, honestly emotional about uh, what he was learning uh, uh, about the organization and wanted me to come in and, and drive change. He really wanted a change agent and a culture person 
and someone who had a proven record of uh, leadership. And so I was blessed that he reached out and I said yes. And we've been on a journey to create a great place to work for these folks for the last four years. Right. It's going to be four years in February coming up. And, and so you have the cultural piece over here, but you've got at least two other parts and it's all connected. One is the P&L and the business. And, and the other part, of course, is the basketball team, one loss. I see that over those four years, you guys have increased that uh, winning percentage every year. You're on a good streak, a little slow start this year. You're at 500. I know you want to do better, but can you talk about, you know, the whole thing? First of all, the business side, the P&L. And I'm sorry to go on and on here, but some people would say, oh, if you're going to fix the culture, you're going to ignore the other stuff. But it's of a piece, right? Yes, it, it, it all fits together. And that's what I love about working, obviously, uh, with Mark and then with Nico Harrison, our general manager and president of basketball operations, Jason Kidd, our coach. Uh, we are all joined at the hip. And in fact, Nico and I met and talked about that uh, this morning. When you walk into my office and when you walk into the business office, you see all of the players, our coach and our general manager, uh, almost, uh, you know, it's it's probably four feet tall, I guess, maybe even uh, taller than that. But you see them almost life-size because we are a team. We represent the basketball team. That's why we come to work every day to excite, inspire, and unite the fans and to make sure that these players uh, get what uh, they need to, you know, perfect their craft. And so we have a lot of people on my side, about 200 people uh, from the marketing side, the, you know, the P&L, the ticket sales, the sponsorships, uh, you name it, all the infrastructure. We're all together. We're all together to make sure that we carry out our mission at the Dallas Mavericks to excite, inspire, and unite. And so it all comes together. Yes, there are three distinct pieces of it, but Mark brings it all together. And uh, we, we know we have a common agenda. We know what we're focused on. Um, we're all included in the business planning process, so we know what we have to get done. So uh, what happens on one side impacts the other side. And you get to spend a bunch of time with the players, Sint. Do you know Luka Doncic and, and what, he, what he's all about? Yes, the, the player relations, uh, there's a player relations uh, piece of my organization, Greg Nard and Brandon Barkley lead that piece of it. Uh, and so they are interacting with the players on a daily basis. We have a player uh, plan uh, that we start out the season with in terms of their community activities, their appearances and all that. And then we make sure that we su support them, uh, support their families. We work uh, with uh, the player development folks on the, the basketball side. And so, yes, we get to spend time with them. I was just with JaVale McGee at his Thanksgiving dinner that he's been doing for 12 years. I got a chance to literally serve the people in the kitchen with them. It was so awesome. Uh, so we do get a chance to interact with them and to uh, uh, really see them at their finest. They are wonderful young men. I want to switch over and ask you about your book, which is the story of your life to a degree. And, and what inspired you to write the book? I mean, you've been chosen. It's about your faith. It's about your background, your upbringing, your perseverance, um, your illness, all of that, right? Yes. It, it started out where I was just going to make very public, uh, my cancer journal. When I was going through chemotherapy, I kept a caring bridge public site uh, because so many people were calling across the country. I was at AT&T at the time. Uh, it was December, 2010. Uh, I started going through chemo in 11, 2011. I was diagnosed in December, 2010. And people were just concerned. 
And so they would call all the time and somebody had a great, great idea that we just make the journey public and people could go to the site and just see how I was doing and what was going on. And over the years, people have called often asking for that journal so they can support somebody that's going through cancer and chemotherapy or if they're going through it themselves. They just, they're just they just curious about what happened to me uh, during uh, the 12 rounds of chemo. So that's how it started out. We were just going to make that public because we're gonna publish it as a book because so many people asked for it. But then when the agents, my agent, my book agent and the publishers got a hold of it, they said, Sin, you often say you've been chosen. You were chosen for the chemo class of 2011, but you've been chosen for many more things in your life. Uh, things that actually we think helped you uh, become equipped to battle cancer. And so as they interviewed me and talked to me, more and more things came out. And so it was their genius uh, mm -hmm. to take it beyond uh, just my chemo, not just my, I mean, it was, a, it was a brutal battle with cancer, but it was their genius to go beyond that. Uh, so what we hope we can do is inspire some people, uh, give them faith and optimism, no matter what they're going through, uh, that they can uh, make it through and that we're all chosen to go through the things that uh, happen to us in life, the good, the great, the bad, and the ugly, uh, but we can persevere and we're chosen to be there for each other. And many things have already happened in our lives that have equipped us to handle the battle that's in front of us. But that's what it's about. Yeah. yeah. One thing I liked in there, Sint, was you said I was the first in many ways, but in many ways I wasn't. Right. And, and talk to us about that and how that's important to you. Well, that is so true. Yes. You know, we all have a story. I was thinking about that this morning, that we all have a story. Uh, some of us tell our stories at different times in our lives when it's just the right thing to do. Uh, but I, I'm not the first person uh, to get cancer. I'm not the first person uh, to go through chemotherapy. I'm not the first person uh, who was the victim of domestic violence and 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 watched my mother go go through it and um, went through it myself. You know, with my dad. Uh, I'm not the first person to be raised in a public housing project and uh, have uh, people show up in my life to. Uh, get me on a path to college. Uh, so there's so many things where I can say, I'm not the first. I'm not the first person to have uh, a second trimester miscarriage or the first person to lose uh, a daughter. And so, yes, I've been the first in a lot of ways, but a lot of people have gone through different things uh, that I've gone through uh, as well. Well, let, but let's talk about some of the instances where you were a first. I mean, you were a, a, a black girl, a black woman, in environments where there weren't many at all. I mean, yeah, school, Cal Berkeley, cheerleading, AT&T as an executive. What did you find in yourself that helped you succeed when a lot of times people were telling you, fix your hair and dress differently and don't talk that way and all those kinds of things that might've held you back? I think it just goes back to, you know, if there are four words, and you know this, there are four words that I live by, dream, focus, pray, and act. And those are words that were just instilled in me by my mom, who is just a wonderful woman, and my teachers and different people in my life at church. And so I always felt that, you know, if I had big dreams, if I focused, if I prayed and took action, things would come out okay. And sometimes the path is a different path than what uh, we have planned. I've learned that. Uh, but, I, but, you know, every time I've been knocked down, somebody always got me up. And I say somebody, it's not just me getting up. It's there's a hand, uh, you know, that is always extended my way 
which is why, you know, my theme song in life is Ain't No Mountain High Enough, uh, because I think there ain't no mountain high enough to keep us from getting there uh, and being there for each other. And so I just always know that, you know, sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel is a train. Bad things do happen to good people, uh, but uh, we're, we might be knocked down, but not knocked out. And that's just been the story of my life. I saw my mother persevere. I saw her go through a lot. And I just believe uh, that we will come out better on the other side of it. So probably my faith and my hope and my optimism um, that I just got from, you know, God and other people, uh, it gets me through everything. Yeah. I mean, as you said, other people in similar circumstances, though, did not do and come out the way you have. So there's a lot there. Let's talk a little bit about AT&T. And, you know, you famously turned down a promotion after a boss asked you to change your clothes, behavior, even your name. Tell us that story and what was your thinking behind that decision? Yes. So when it was when I got promoted to officer, and of course we know that's the highest level in, in a corporation, uh, I got a call telling me that you know I was uh, the board had elected me to be an officer, and so my boss called to give me the news. I had actually just walked in the house, so my husband could kind of hear my side of the conversation, and he heard he heard me say, "Oh, you want me to cut my hair? You want me to go to a barber?" And he's in the background going, "Oh, I can, I got a barber, I got a barber." And I'm like, no, be quiet, because I needed to really understand what this woman was actually asking of me. And so she basically told me that I got the promotion, which I was not, I didn't even know I was being considered. And she told me she wanted me to change my hairdo. She had left a magazine on my uh, desk because uh, there were all these Black people on the cover in all white. And the woman had the women had short hair, so she thought I'd look good in a short hairdo. She thought I'd look good in white. Uh, told me the kind of... Um, uh, she told me she uh, thought I should change my name instead of being a cent. I should be Cindy or Cynthia because nobody knew what a cent was. And so that's when it started getting real interesting because I've been sent uh, my entire life. Most of the black people that I know that I grew up with named Cynthia were called cent. And uh, most of the white ones were called, the white girls were called Cindy, not, not absolute, but for the most part. So cent was common to me but it wasn't to her. And so she wanted me to change my name. She told me to stop talking so loud that I was going to have to probably uh, kind of keep the people out of my office because the open door policy uh, wasn't good. And basically she was saying, be a little bit more you know, standoffish and sophisticated and dignified. Uh, but then this is when it really got interesting. She said, and you can't use the words like blessed. Uh, I need you to say things like lucky, but don't say blessed. I said, well, what if I think I am blessed? What if I know I'm blessed? She goes, no, 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 lucky. And so she just started changing. And I just finally said, stop. I said, I can't accept this. And honestly, I was more concerned about keeping my current job. So I asked her, to, I asked her for her help. I said, I need you to help me figure out how to say no, because I'm not going to accept this. I said, when I came to the company uh, almost 20 years ago, uh, I was asked to take off my to get rid of my red shoes and take down my braids. And I stayed up all night taking down my braids uh, because I was told it was too ethnic. And here it is almost 20 years later and you're asking me to change, except this time, I think you're asking me to fundamentally change who I am. I'm not lucky, I am blessed. And so I need you to help me say no. So we came up with some words. She said she would take care of it. I was relieved because she was helping me out. And then we hung up. And then a few minutes later, her boss called. And then right after that, 
the big boss called the chairman of the company. And Mr. Whitaker. Yes, I love him. I truly love him. Yeah. I've been blessed to have great leaders. Randall Stevenson uh, was a great leader for me. Ed Whitaker was a great leader. I love them both dearly. Um, and so they were great sponsors. And he called and he said, sent, and he put the emphasis on the T. And he said, I heard what happened. Let's just do this all again. And he went on to describe me. And I was surprised that he, he knew me that well. And he went on to describe me as sent and said, that's the person who we want to show up tomorrow. That's the person who we are electing to be an officer. That's the person who we want uh, to sit at the big tables. And then I said, okay, you got it. Yes. And I accepted. And I'll never forget one of my fondest memories of my 36 years with AT&T, and I have plenty, I have a lot of fond memories, is when I walked into my first officer's conference and he was standing there with one of his kind of lieutenants and they welcomed me to the officer's conference and the door was closed. And he said, I'm gonna open this door. He said, girl, you're one of 110 because we had 110 officers at the time. He said, you're one of 110. This is a long way from the Easter Hill Public Housing Projects in Richmond, California. He said, you earned the right to be here. When I open this door, I want you to go in there and take your rightful place. I want you to contribute. I wanna hear your voice. You earned the right to be here. I was in tears. He was in tears. This is the chairman of the company. I will never forget that. And I had similar experiences uh, with Randall and, uh, and Bill Blaze and others. So I, and, and Ray Wilkins, et cetera. I've been blessed. What a magical moment that that was. And, and can you tell us when was that? What year was that sent? That was, I believe, 2000. Yeah. 2000. So interesting, 20 years. Okay, so the reason you set up my question, you said you joined it 20 years ago, and then 20 years later, they asked you to change. So now it's been 20 years since then. How much yes. progress do you think we've made in those past 20 years? Because it sounds like the first 20 years, we didn't make as much progress as you'd hoped. Right. I think we have made progress. Clearly, when you look at some of the demographics, uh, there are more you know, women and Black women in certain places. Uh, but then again, uh, in some places, I'm surprised. I'm the first Black female CEO of an NBA team, which no one really thought about. My boss didn't think about that. He wasn't trying to make history or anything. He was just trying to make a difference. Uh, so we've made progress in certain areas, uh, but we and we haven't in others. And we still have a lot of work to do as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and not just the demographics piece, but the actual inclusion piece, uh, making people comfortable and inviting them, uh, uh, not just inviting them to the party, but really asking them to dance and accepting the dance moves uh, that they bring. That's always the analogy uh, that I use. It's about not just counting numbers, but making the numbers count. And how do you really uh, embrace all of the differences and put that to great use for uh, an organization. And so we, I think we're still on a journey uh, to learn uh, how to do that, especially uh, the inclusion part. And so we just can't give up. All of us have a role to play in it. All of us uh, have to just have it top of mind all of the time uh, to seek people who are different and to make those differences count. And it's complicated, Sint, right? I mean, you look at what's going on now with, I mean, first of all, there's backlashes. There's a backlash against DEI. And then you look at the situation with Kyrie Irving and anti-Semitism and other facets coming in and players 
making statements and the and Adam Silver having to respond. How fraught is this environment right now? Well, I think it's it's bigger than basketball. Um, it's it's definitely bigger than basketball. You look at just what is happening in our country. Uh, we have a split country. We have a polarizing uh, country, uh, but we live in a great country. And I believe that there is much more love in this country than there is hate. And I experience it every day. I'm the recipient of it. I try to pass it out. And so um, uh, there's a, the Dallas Holocaust and Human Rights Museum uh, gave me an award uh, in October. And I, I have received a lot of awards uh, in my lifetime. Uh, but this one was extremely special to me uh, because it was uh, the event was Hope for Humanity, and it was it was their Upstander Award, uh, and it was a, an award that focuses on uh, standing up for other people and going even beyond our own cultures to make sure we're standing up for others who either have been uh, their voices have been silent or they never had a voice. And so I think um, that's something we all have to do in this country right now. We all have to be upstanders and look at those who are marginalized uh, and stand up for them. And the things will happen, uh, you know, people will focus in on, I think, get laser focused on certain things and miss the bigger picture. And that is that we live in a country right now that's very polarized and divided, and we all have a role to play in bringing it all together and accepting all of our differences. And just to follow up there too, another sort of tricky one is you're a person of faith. There's some people, who say that doesn't square necessarily with LGBTQ rights, you find that you're able to do both of those, have both of those things in your character though, right? Yes, I am. Yes, I'm able to do both because God is love. That is the first commandment is that we love one another. And that means everybody. We get to love everybody and it's truly an honor uh, to be able to do that. We, we, we don't judge people. We love each other. We embrace each other. So I can, I can very easily square that. Great. So how does the business of basketball work right now in terms of driving the business forward? Is it all about ticket pricing, TV contracts, merchandising? Um, what do you focus on and what are you guys looking to do with the Mavericks right now? It's all of it. In fact, I'm uh, in the process of uh, hiring a chief revenue officer uh, right now to kind of bring the whole revenue piece together uh, so it, 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 it's about our brand. Uh, it's about brand awareness. It's about uh, technology and making sure we are utilizing uh, technology to reach uh, millions of fans. You know, we have, I call it 41 parties. So we have 41 home games every year. Mm -hmm. And so I said, we have 41 parties with 19,200 plus people at every party, but there are millions of fans out there. So uh, we have to figure out how do we engage all of those fans? How do we use technology to do that? How do we use our app, our website? Uh, how do we uh, go direct to consumer uh, with uh, watching our games? Uh, there's, so, there's so much innovation out there and so much opportunity. Uh, so it is beyond ticket sales. Yes, we want a full arena. And so right now, I'm, you know, fortunately, we have a waiting list uh, for season ticket holders. We call them Club Maverick members. And that hasn't happened in years. So uh, that just happened a few weeks ago. So I'm pretty excited. Our team has worked hard on that. Uh, so we have a wait list. So people are coming to the games, uh, but we also want to engage our fans in different ways. And so we're looking at all of that. We're looking at how we do e-commerce. Uh, what, uh, what do we do there? 
so just a lot of different opportunities, international opportunities. Oh my goodness, the NBA has opened up opportunities for us to have international partners. How do we take advantage of that? How do we engage in that? So there's just, there's so much good stuff uh, going on in this uh, industry. Uh, fans are excited. And so we just have to take advantage of it. We just have to take it to uh, a new level. Yeah, I want to ask you to drill down a little bit, Sint, please, in that international arena uh, facet. Um, obviously, the NBA is popular in China, very popular in Europe. There's a big endeavor in Africa. Um, how are you? Are you involved in any of these things? Or, you know, what does the league tell you? What are the opportunities more specifically for uh, the NBA and, and, and for the Mavericks um, per se? Well, what the NBA has done, first of all, they keep us very, very informed. So when the Basketball Africa League was being formed, uh, Mark Tatum, and uh, our deputy commissioner, and Adam Silver kept us uh, very informed. Uh, I am uh, honored to be the alternate governor for our team. Mark is uh, uh, the primary governor, so I get to uh, join strategy calls, et cetera, to hear what's going on. And from an international front, the NBA has been working very hard to give us, all the 30 teams, an opportunity uh, to actually uh, have international uh, partners. So they've opened that up to us. And so now we just need to uh, figure out what markets we want to go into, how can we engage uh, uh, international fans. And so we try to pay attention to uh, the numbers there to see where we should go. We, we have, we meaning the Dallas Mavericks, uh, one of the most international teams in the NBA. Uh, so that's something that we really have to step back and, and take advantage of. And so the NBA, they figure that they figure it out where they they want to go. I'm excited. I got real excited about the Basketball Africa League. I haven't been there yet. I haven't been able to participate uh, just because of schedules. Uh, but all of that is open uh, is open for us to participate in. Yeah, I don't know if you've been watching the Soccer World Cup, but is there you know at some point like wouldn't that be awesome to have like a basketball World Cup like that run by the NBA even right? Yes, I would love that. And in fact. Um, I have been watching the World Cup. Uh, my kids played soccer. I had a daughter who played soccer in college, and I was mm. actually a soccer referee at one point, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, not a very good one, but I just did I it so the kids wouldn't have to forfeit any games. Uh, but just watching that, and I've been watching as many matches as, as I could watch, so not just the United States. Um, and it is fascinating. And so I would love to see that. Uh, I had the pleasure of going to a game. Uh, uh, we played a game in Mexico a mm. few years ago, so that was exciting. Uh, we're hoping that we get an opportunity to play international a preseason game internationally uh, next year. Uh, but it's just exciting. And so even during the off season, we have about four or five guys uh, who play for their countries and we follow that and we watch it and we get uh, excited about it. Uh, it truly is uh, an international sport. And it's so you're talking about diversity. It's so great to see all of these people coming together for the love of the game. Yeah, I guess the Olympics would, would be telling me, hey, Andy, we've already got something going on here internationally. Don't set up yeah, another but, one. But I think what you're talking about is kind of, yeah. you know, not every four years. I think, yeah, 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 I yeah. think you're talking there's, about on a regular basis. There's still maybe room for, for our idea, Cinch. We'll, we'll tell Adam Silver. Well, I, um, think, yeah, I, think he, I think he and Mark Tatum are on it. I think you already came up with the idea before? Oh, come on. They're on uh, it I already. It. They're already <laughs> on it. I believe it. I, I'm not, of course they are. Um, and they have a private equity division to invest in startups, the NBA. Do you know about that part? Yes, but I, I don't know that much about it. Um, I, I just, I honestly don't. I can't really speak to it, uh, but they, they have so many endeavors going on. Here, here's what I love about Adam Silver. Adam is always thinking about, and my boss is like this as well, what is next? 
We're, we're never going to just rest on uh, the good ratings that we've had uh, even, even during COVID. But we're never going to rest on that. We're never going to rest on the fact that, you know, some of us have uh, sold out arenas. A lot of us do. Uh, we're not resting on that. We're always trying to figure out uh, what's next and then how can we, uh, how can we make it uh, even better? I love what, uh, what they focus on re relative to the WNBA and looking at how to raise uh, uh, money for uh, our, our women basketball players in that whole league. So it's just, it's exciting. They're, they're a step ahead of us. They are, they're a step ahead of us. And my, you know, they have various committees and my boss uh, is on a few of them. And so they're always trying to think uh, next level, next generation. Okay, so the team, like I mentioned earlier, around 500, do you guys really have what it takes to get up there with the Suns and the Nuggets and the Grizzlies? Uh, excuse me, but uh, we were one of the top four teams in the NBA uh, last year. We went to the Western Conference Finals. So I will let our record speak for itself. It is early in the season. I am optimistic. We were excited to be in the top four teams. We'll be excited again. Love to hear that. And what about you, Sint, going forward? What are your ambitions, goals, and what do you hope to show the world that you you still got going on? Well, I think the, the book is is one thing. I, I call it like my next chapter, no pun intended, uh, books, uh, better and boards. So of course you mentioned I'm on the Yahoo board. So I'm on a few corporate boards and that's very exciting because with my uh, corporate experience and now the experience that I've gained uh, uh, with the NBA and the Dallas Mavericks, I think that's helped me to be able to uh, offer some advice and counsel. Uh, on a few matters. So that's exciting. I, I love being on the Yahoo board. We have a meeting coming up December 13th. I can't wait to get to New York and kind of engage with Jim and the team. Uh, and then books. I probably have a few more books uh, in me. Uh, I for, for 20 years, I've been saying I'm going to write a book. And then I finally wrote the one, uh, uh, You've Been Chosen, because my cancer story was one I wanted to get out there because it had been requested. Uh, but I like the process. So I'll probably do one around leadership and some other things. Um, and motherhood is probably going to be the next one because, of course, I have four beautiful adopted children. And so I want to talk about the motherhood journey and, and what that's about. Um, and so then and then better. Uh, better to me is about my nonprofit boards and focusing in on something where really, you know, when I get up in the morning, I can point to a specific child and say their life is better because I'm a part of it. So whether it's education, whether it's the adoption process, and all that because I am on the, I'm the chair of the board for Dallas CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates. And so we focus on permanence and stability for our children. Uh, so I'm going to do a whole lot more of that uh, one day. So books, boards, and better. I just want to make it better. Wow, that is a lot on your plate going forward, Sin. And we really look forward to seeing you accomplish all these things. And what an inspirational story. Thank you so much for joining us, Sint Marshall. CEO of the Dallas, Dallas Mavericks and author of the new book, You've Been Chosen. Sent. so great talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I'm just surrounded with so many wonderful people uh, who make my life better and they make me look good. And so uh, I'm able to do a lot of things because of a lot of people. So thank you. All right. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Sherler. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter 
at Yahoo Finance and at Surwer.